Hey everyone, it's Arnold with Warm Welcome. Really excited to be bringing the podcast back. I think it's been a little bit over a month since the last episode. Um, and today we have a pretty special one to celebrate the comeback. I am sitting down with Keizo, and Keizo is probably most well-known. His claim to fame would be his ramen burger that he invented seven years ago at Smorgasburg. And it was really one of the first crazy viral food sensations from what I remember. In 2013 is when I first came to New York as well. And, and, and I just remember just seeing it everywhere. And um, recently I saw that Keizo on Instagram had announced that he was closing his businesses here in New York and moving back home to California. So I reached out and wanted to invite him onto the podcast mainly because I have an immense respect for what he's done. And I have a lot of friends who really respect him and his work and his dedication to his craft. Um, he is the Robin guy, you know, and Keizo is just a fine example of someone who started out as simply a fan who appreciated ramen. And he took that and just went <laughs> zero to 100. I mean, obviously there was a, a level and phases in which he went through. So I'm um, really excited to share his journey and like we always do, we're going to bring it back a little bit where um, Keizo spent his childhood years. He was California born and raised in Huntington Beach, youngest of three boys, parents immigrated from Japan. And I asked him, when did your ramen dream begin? You know, what were your earliest memories of ramen? It's very picky. We'd go back to Japan and, you know, try all these other stuff like fish and sushi. And I just didn't want to eat it. I was very like a narrow-minded kid. Like I, I, I just grew up on like grilled cheese sandwiches and string cheese and <laughs> stuff like that. One time, I guess when I was young and on a trip to Japan with the family, uh, my mom took me to a ramen shop because she felt sorry that I wasn't eating as much every day and when I got to that shop and had like you know really old school Tokyo style shoyu ramen it it really kind of I guess touched me and I, I kind of fell in love with ramen from a very young age and because she knew that like I instantly liked it she she always took me to ramen shops or she would make ramen at home um, with the instant packs or because Back in the day, like there weren't many Japanese groceries in, in America. And whenever we take a trip to Japan, she'd buy cases and cases of, of cup noodles, like instant noodles. And, you know, she'd just have like stocks and stocks for the next time we'd go back to Japan. I mean, Asian families might be used to this. But like, we used to, you know, check in a whole giant case of like cup noodles <laughs> in the airplane. And, like, there's all these other Americans like looking at us like, why would, why would, what is that? <laughs> so, I mean, that was kind of funny. Um, but basically, yeah, I grew up on eating ramen and, you know, childhood, uh, college, I went to UCLA. Uh, I would go buy like the fresh ramen packs at Mitsua or Nijia Market. And I'd just eat those and spruce them up a little bit. And then that's kind of how, you know, I kept up with ramen and I wasn't really like a home cook. I, I never really cooked anything back then. Uh, I always just 
you know, got the instant stuff. And there were a lot of ramen shops in LA when I was a kid too, but ramen wasn't that popular. Um, people think, like I grew up in, so I was born in, in the 70s. I'm, I'm like 43 now. And when I was a kid, 80s, 90s, there were still a few ramen shops like around and like owned by Japanese people to cater to like the Japanese population in Southern California. And so my parents would take me to those places and I fell in love with ramen there too. And people think like, oh, ramen wasn't here in America back then, but it was. And we had really good like shoyu ramen, like places like Umemura in Gardena. And there was another one called Kotan, which is not there anymore. But these, these like uh, Tokyo style shops have been around for a while. I think because recently like the tonkotsu shops and the chains have come over. People are thinking like, oh, ramen is, is kind of like a new thing. Um, but we always had it in LA, Southern California. Keizo would eventually experience the dot-com crash, the subprime mortgage implosion that happened in 08, 09. And he just happened to be working in that industry and in that area as well, doing secondary marketing. And just as everyone in that industry was laid off, he was no exception. But out of the difficulties was also the beginning of his blog called Go Ramen that he started um, during his time. The day I was told that I got laid off or that our company was going bankrupt, I actually called out sick. And it was like first time ever calling out sick. And like my, my coworker called me in the morning and he's like, hey, yo, did you hear? I'm like, hear what? I, I've been sleeping. <laughs> he's like, yo, you got to come in and get your stuff. Like they laid us all off. Like we're going bankrupt. I was like, what? And so I called my boss and she's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, um, the, the CEO is closing everything down and you know, you got about a, a week to come get your stuff. So that was really like, that was in my twenties, my mid twenties. And I wasn't married. I was still single, but it, it had a huge impact. You know, I went from finally working my way up and making six figures in an industry that I thought would be my career. And, and then it all just came crashing down and I was like, Oh crap, I don't have a job. And then file for unemployment and you're getting like two to $300 a week. And you're like, wait, I can't live off this. <laughs> the last company I was at, they filed for bankruptcy, but then they, they decided to, keep me on for the bankruptcy retention team. So like if the lawyers need something dug up from the databases, like I would be there to do that. So I got kind of lucky. So for six months, you know, I was making my normal salary just to basically surf the internet all day. That's kind of how my blog was born. My coworker was telling me about her political blog. And this was like right when blogs were kind of peaking as you know, everyone was starting a food blog or some sort of blog. And then it, you know, it got into my head. I started like looking for other ramen blogs and I couldn't find any. I got all this time on my hand. Like I should do something with it. I'll just start a ramen blog and just go eat at every ramen shop in Southern California. <laughs> and that's what happened. 
So while there were so many uncertainties in the air with his career, Keizo found a, a new joy and a new passion to document his ramen journey. And eventually he decided that he was going to take a trip back to Japan, experience it all over again as an adult and an even harder admirer of ramen, going to the ramen museum. And it was during this trip that he decided that ramen was really his calling. I took a trip to Japan. Like I, I normally would go to Japan like once a year. And after I had started the blog, I hadn't gone to Japan to really uh, try ramen and stuff everywhere. So I took a trip in 2008 in the beginning and uh, my brother was living in Japan at the time. So I visited him and I'd go eat ramen everywhere. And then I went to the, the Shin Yokohama Ramen Museum and that kind of just opened my eyes. Like I, I love ramen, but then when I went to the museum and saw like all the different regional styles like posted on the wall, there were like, at that time there were like 26 different styles. I was amazed. It's like <laughs> looking at these pictures and like the different types of ramen and how they differ. Like, I was like, oh my God, I got to go and try all these places. Like, this is something I need to know. So, uh, so then I planned another trip after that. And in, in April of 2009, I ended up traveling like in 28 days to 21 different cities and I ate 55 bowls of ramen. And it just like opened up my mind to ramen. And I remember going to like Hakodate, climbing the mountain and like watching the sunset and something just spoke to me like you're destined for ramen. And at, at that point, like I basically just decided to break up with my girlfriend back home and then quit my job and move to Japan. When I did that trip around Japan, I had stopped at Ivan Ramen, if you don't know. Ivan Ramen was a New Yorker who went back to Japan and opened a ramen shop and was like the first non-Japanese person to, to really make quality ramen in Japan, in Tokyo. So he was, he was at that time, like pretty popular, very easy to talk to. Like you go to the shop, of course, he speaks English. So we kind of hit it off. He actually joked about me working at a ramen shop. And so I was like, oh, can I work here? And he's like, yeah, if you, if you can get your own visa, come, come work here. So that was in the back of my mind. And I was like, if, if that offer still stands, like I'd love to come and learn from you. And luckily for me, I'm, my parents still have citizenship in Japan. And I was able to get like a child of Japanese national visa, which allows me to work and live for, for like three years at a time. So the visa part wasn't a problem for me. Um, and Ivan was... Like, yeah, I come down and then, you know, I need help. Uh, I'd love to have you. So Keizo took the leap of faith, went to work for Ivan Ramen in his original location in Tokyo, Japan. Eventually, he'd find another job at another ramen shop called Basanova, um, becoming a manager, going against all odds in terms of overcoming his fluency in Japanese and while working at Bossa Nova, he would get that ticket to New York that he had never thought would happen. What happens after that is just another series of crazy events. So being manager of Bossa Nova in Tokyo, 
there are two guys that came in one day and they were like looking all around and they ordered food and they're trying to talk to me and stuff. And then I asked them like, Oh, what's going on? And they're like, Oh, we're going to open up a bossa nova in New York. And I was like, Oh yeah, well I'm American. <laughs> I can speak English. Like, let me help you. And they're, they're like, Oh shit. Like there's, you're a chef. You, you're, you've already doing bossa nova, you know, all the recipes like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we should, you should partner with us and go help us open there. And so like after a night of drinking and talking about this, like we all kind of got really excited about it and they eventually like brought me onto their team to open Bossa Nova in New York. And I agreed to that. So like early 2013 is when, you know, they found a space, they found a location uh, we went into construction after like construction, like they, they wanted me to come to New York every now and then to like help them like plan out things and source things and all that. So during, during that time I was coming back and forth from Tokyo to Japan, still working at Boston Nova Tokyo. Um, but then I hired another like co-manager to kind of run things in Tokyo. And then I would go to New York, come back. We did that for a good, maybe three or four months. And then in June of 2013 is when I actually moved to New York. And unfortunately, uh, that project, a week before we opened, they had never given me a, a proper contract. Uh, it was always like, okay, verbal, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. And nothing was written down. It's kind of like the Japanese way, like, to do things and then going into like two weeks before i was like can you please give me a contract i need something in writing to like feel secure and they finally did and when i saw that contract it was not even close to what we had talked about and i felt kind of i felt like misled i felt cheated you know they already had all these recipes that i gave them and all this knowledge like they were, they paid for my flights and stuff from New York, but you know, it's like, it didn't make sense how off it was from what we talked about. So that time it's like, I can't do it for that contract. I can't even live. So either we renegotiate something or I'm out of here and they didn't want to renegotiate. So I had, I left the project even before opening. You know how we say that things happen for a reason? I think in hindsight, what happens here is really the reason why Keizo was able to do what he did. And because now he was out of a job, the sole reason why he moved to New York was not there anymore. You would think that it's, it's, it's the easy way out would be to give up, maybe go back to Japan, work where he used to. But he doubled down. And a mere two months later, in August 2013, his life would change. The ramen burger craze would happen and the highs and lows would come with that. And so I, I just asked him about the stories there about bootstrapping this, this viral food sensation and what it was really like to be behind it. But now I'm here in New York, I moved my whole life here and yeah, I felt I was unemployed. I had nothing. And at that time too, I, I had met my future wife in New York. And we, we started living together and she's, she's from Japan, uh, but she, she came here to dance 
and she was on like a student visa for a ballet uh, company. And so, so we were living together. I didn't have a job. And I was like, I want to go back to Tokyo and just, you know, go back to Boston over there. But I, I have her and I have, I moved all this stuff already. So I'm kind of stuck here and I really didn't know what to do. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things like, okay, shit. Um, I can't, I can't, like, I could be depressed and, and feel like shit, but I gotta do something. So I went to all these different ramen shops in the city and asked if they needed a job. A lot of times, like, uh, people would like introduce me to, to a ramen shop owner and be like, Oh, this is Keizo. He can do all this stuff. And, and like, but nobody knew who I was. Like nobody knew my training in Japan. Nobody knew that I could actually make ramen. So everyone would look at me like, okay, yeah, I got a part-time position and you can come work here. Uh, one of those jobs was like Menkuite in the East Village. Started cutting scallions for two hours every day. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, I guess this is, I guess I got to go through this again. And, and then at that time it was like, uh, smorgasburg was happening. I had this ramen burger idea from Japan that I used to mess with. Uh, right before I left Japan, I did a munchies, a Vice Japan munchies video. The theme of that was like, we went to go eat at my favorite restaurants in Tokyo. And then we ended back at Bossa Nova where I made ramen burgers for my friends. That's kind of, that kind of led to like me creating the bun, the ramen bun in a specific way that I was able to really make it stay together. From that experience, that ramen burger idea was still with me. And I heard about Smorgasburg and my friend had a booth that was open that he wanted to lend somebody. And I ended up, you know, deciding to do ramen burger that day. So, so I started developing ramen buns in my kitchen uh, while my, while my girlfriend was, you know, at work or dancing, like I, I would just be at home alone, unemployed, just trying to make these buns. It's kind of cool. Like I made the bun and then I, I had friends from the food film festival that like George Motes, who's the big burger guy, who's the founder of that and all these other people around him that would help me with burger meat. I remember George was the first one to tell me like, Oh, it's not a burger without beef, you know? So that's when I got, I got in contact with Schweid and Sons, which is a beef burger provider. And they gave me a beef patty, tried it out with my ramen burger. My first initial style was to like copy in and out because, you know, growing up in LA in and out burger was a kind of my favorite. So I tried to make a double, double ramen burger. It was good but it just felt like a, like a burger, like an American burger. I was thinking, all right, I need some type of sauce and shoyu ramen is one of my favorite ramen. So I'll make like a shoyu type glaze to put on the burger. So once I did that, and then I put that on the burger with the ramen bun and I took one bite and I was like, oh yeah, this is it. And like, I got so excited. Like I was by myself in my apartment and I was like jumping around. <laughs> I was like, Oh shit, this is it. This is it. Yeah. It's, it's so good. <laughs> and then, like, then my, my girlfriend came home that night and I was like, you gotta try this. You gotta try this. Let me know what you think. 
And she tried to say, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> and then, like, I had my burger friends come over and try it. And, like, everyone liked it. Everyone thought it was good. And, and then so we decided to do Smorgasburg. And I had my friend, Chris Breerton, help me at that time. And we just started making buns in my basement apartment. <laughs> we didn't have a business. We had no license. We didn't know what to do, you know? And then borrowed the booth from my friend and then Smorgasburg got wind of what we're doing and they said, okay, yeah, you can do it. And then I posted it on my blog that we we're going to do ramen burger. And that's when it went crazy. Like within 24 hours, it just started. I don't know if like I can describe how viral it went, but it was just, instantly viral and all over the place on the internet. So within two days, like Twitter, Facebook was all blowing up Instagram. And then like good morning America called and said, we want to feature you on the Saturday morning show before smorgasburg. And I was like, wait a minute, like how, how am I going to like prep all these burgers and then go to good morning, go to ABC at four in the morning to tape this show and then go to Smorgasburg after that to make the burgers. It's, it's like, Oh my God, it's crazy. So that was like the beginning of, Oh man, what did I do? What did I create? <laughs> and that lasted for a few years when Smorgasburg got wind of the viral viralness of it. Like initially I had told them I'm only going to do a hundred burgers and they called me and they're like, can you do 150? <laughs> it's like, like it sounds like only 50 more, but to make these ramen buns at the time, everything was done by hand in my kitchen, in the basement of my apartment, you know, using a home stove, you know, trying to make all these by hand. It, it took a long time, even just for a hundred of them. So the, the shoyu sauce that I make with it, that's another process in itself that takes about six hours to reduce it and all that. And it's like garlic and onion and it smells up the entire apartment. I remember my landlord, they lived upstairs. So every every now and then she'd come downstairs. The wife would come downstairs and be like, oh, it smells so good. Are you a chef? Like, and I'd be like, yeah, thank you. And then when this kept happening, like every single week, she's like, oh, it still smells. Yeah, I, I ended up getting evicted from that apartment and the next apartment that I went to because... It, everything was happening so fast. Like it, it's really hard to explain because I didn't have a business, but then this food goes viral. I need to continue it. Like smorgasbord is like, you have to continue it. Like, Cause initially I was like, okay, it's just a one and done type of thing. But then because of that good morning America episode, and then all this press we were getting, we had people lining up. We had, I think that first day there was like three or 400 people lined up and I only had 150 and it was raining and just trying to keep up with the demand week to week, even though at that time we were only doing it every Saturday, one day a week. It was like, I was trying to make like 300 burgers, three, 400 burgers. And that took up every single day of my time being in my apartment, trying to make all these buns. Um, yeah. We'd have to boil noodles and then press them. Right. So then the water, I wasn't paying the water bill at the time. But then the landlord's like, holy shit, my water bill is like 10 times as high as it normally is. Like, what's going on? I'd be like, I don't know. Maybe you got a leak somewhere. <laughs>
at a certain point, Kazo realized that he needed a proper space. Maybe it's probably after the few evictions that he has in his apartments that he realizes he needs a professional production space. And so he lands a space in Queensbridge, Long Island City, and um, it turns into a creative space. You know, it turns into multiple businesses for Kazo and different opportunities. But even before that happens, um, he finds himself in a new opportunity in, in doing a brick and mortar location, but it's not what it seems to be from the onset. Um, and, and, and some troubles there as well that um, were very eye-opening to me, but I think also spoke to just uh, the decency and, and maybe even just the innocence back then. Cause you know, this was his first time being a business owner and, and especially in, in being in the restaurant industry. So this is what unfolded next. After, you know, getting evicted that first apartment, I went into another one and we're still trying to, you know, get the business together properly. Uh, I still had to make it the buns in the apartment. And then eventually I got evicted again from there, but then I found a kitchen in a hotel in Midtown that let me use it to prep. And that's when we first got legit. And then, uh, and then I opened up Ramen Co. in downtown. Ramen Co. was a ramen shop that I kind of got swindled into. Uh, you know, the, my partner with that kind of uh, reached out to me because of the ramen burger fame and not being knowledgeable about the industry yet. You know, I was still very fresh into this business and how it worked how New York worked. I mean, I moved here in June of 2013. Ramen Burger debuted in August of 2013. So it's like a very short time of all this happening. And so, yeah, so I was prepping in this basement hotel for Smorgasburg. Then this, this guy came up to me and said, uh, you know, I got, I got this like Asian walk style restaurant in downtown. I want to change the concepts, not doing that well. I think if we do ramen, ramen burger, uh, it would do really well. So, you know, you can be the chef behind it. You could uh, do the menu. You could change everything. We'll, we'll design it as you like and, and all that. So I ended up creating the concept of ramen, ramen burger, and bento. At first, it was like really exciting doing all that. Um, but like me, I, I'm not very smart at doing contracts and stuff. Like I always go on on the whim of, you know, the excitement of, doing something new. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and, then, and then next thing you know, I have this ramen shop in downtown that I'm supposedly co-owner, but really not, you know? So that, that doing all that. And then like to make a long story short, that partnership kind of went sour as well. And I ended up leaving that partnership. Um, there was never a secure contract with that either. And it was always up in the air and I, I didn't get paid for like 18 months of doing that. So uh, it was just, it was just one of those things where like, okay, it's, I've had enough. I, I got to go. And then at, at that same time, uh, a friend reached out to me who said he had a friend that has a kitchen in Long Island city uh, that he, he wants to give up. And so I inquired about it because I was still looking for a proper prep kitchen of my own. And it turned out to be this location in Queensbridge, uh, 40th Avenue. 
and it was basically just a soup kitchen before. So uh, it was exactly what I was looking for for ramen burger. You know, some place to prep the buns, prep the meat, prep the sauce, everything in a proper legal kitchen. And and I was like, oh shit, I'll take it right now. I'll take it. And so uh, I took. That's the reason how I ended up in Queensbridge. Uh, at first, it's it was just a kitchen, like it was a maybe a Chinese restaurant, like twenty years ago, that still had the hood, the long hood, like forty foot hood, and uh, all the gas lines. So, I think it had become different businesses, like a bakery and a soup kitchen, like over the years. But when I took it over, like everything was still in place. It had a big, you know, ten foot. 10 by 10 walk-in refrigerator and it was perfect for me so i yeah i took it uh i ended up starting another company for that space called go ramen go life and it the model for that was to become my wholesale company so initially i was not only just making ramen burger buns and like all the ingredients for that i started making soup for other people so ramen soup. So it it was because like essentially like if I have ramen burger retail business doing smorgasburg and other markets and locations, this wholesale company would supply ramen burger. And because I have all this space and all this ability to make stuff, like it gives me a chance to go back to ramen. And I ended up making soup for that downtown restaurant that I was involved in. I had removed myself from the partnership, but then I still kept supplying them the proper product. So that was kind of like a new business venture for me that was created through this space. And it also it also like kept my ramen dream alive where I could test different things and get more creative. Case was the best he could with the space and pivoting during this kind of nine month period since that since we've been on lockdown and, and that we've been in the middle of this global pandemic, pivoting and doing Shimamoto noodles as his wholesale and doing noodle kits. But eventually things gave in. Um, I, I think it's just a multitude of things and factors. Obviously, him being a father of three, I think, played a huge factor you know, in terms of trying to balance what he had at home and just juggling multiple concepts and businesses as, as we're learning. Um, I was just curious, you know, how, how was the, how was the year for him? What did he expect it to be? Did it obviously probably started off a little bit differently. He's made the decision to go back home to California. What are some reasonings behind that decision? Cause I'm sure it wasn't easy and his general outlook on life and, and, and the industry. Yeah, it's been a tough year uh, for for all of us. Uh, I mean, mentally, yeah, it's been very challenging uh, trying to get through this, and you know, really, like, are we going to get through this? Like, questioning every day, uh, like what the future is going to be like. Because right now, it's like it's hard to see anything, like a year ahead, like six months ahead. So for me, it's like twenty twenty started with ramen shack reopening in midtown as a pop-up and the sort of sad thing about that is is um that company that was helping me 
they were slated to buy all my companies from me and start operating everything. So to me, this was like, okay, now I finally got someone who believes in me, who will help me like reach my bigger dreams. And I was like really excited to start this year. And um, we started Ramen Shack. Everything was going well. It felt good to be making like ramen again. And then of course, end of February, early March, COVID happens and then restaurants get shut down. Uh, Ramen Shack ended or we stopped selling ramen. Um, And of course, Midtown was heavily affected in the beginning. Basically, we kind of stopped all that and didn't know what was going to happen because of COVID that ended up killing all the the deals I had in place too. Like nothing was signed yet. Nothing was, nothing was for sure. So everything that I thought was going to happen just came crumbling down. Um, At that time too, it's like, because they were going to take everything over, I started winding down my companies like before COVID, like early this year. So a lot of like the ramen burger company, they were going to take over that operation as well. So I started transferring everything to them. Also like employees, you know, I let go and had them move over to that company. So it was a lot of things going on that were changing for me already. And then COVID happens and then none of that's going to like change anymore. So I, I had to struggle to get back what I could. And Shimamoto Noodle was it's still in place. Uh, I still have all the machines. So even though initially with lockdown, like my customers all like closed, they started coming back little by little. And then as restaurants began opening again, you know, some of my customers, like my major customer, Setagaya, they reopened and they actually were the first ones to buy my noodles again. And I was literally just, I would come into the factory by myself, make their noodles take it to them and go home. You know, no interaction, try, no interaction with anybody during the pandemic. Cause you know, of course, like with, it's, it's also very tough cause I have three small children. I had to do homeschooling five days a week, then trying to still keep the business alive and then still raise three kids properly. It's just a lot of difficult stuff going on. And then, you know, with COVID, like babysitters can't come over. Uh, no one can help us with the kids. So it's, we don't have family here. So it's a big struggle, like even just trying to survive in New York. So that's, that's really why, like, I've decided to sort of close down everything and reset, move back to California, where at least I have family to help take care of our kids. You know, I have my parents there, I have my brothers. And something that this pandemic has taught me is, you know, family is really important. Being stuck in a two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan, like 24-7, you kind of realize that. I mean, it's really all you have. So also, like, my parents are getting older, uh, approaching 80. Uh, They haven't had much interaction with their grandkids. So, like, moving back there is also kind of a no-brainer for them. You know, I'm looking forward to the change. Like, I, I love New York. New York uh, is was a crazy place for me. Like, a lot of memories, 
a lot of success. I don't know. I hate to say it, but it's going to take time to come back. And, you know, I think for this, for me, it's like, I can't sit here and keep hoping for something that I don't know that's coming. Uh, you know, I could hope for government assistance, but then what if it doesn't come? Like we've been hoping that for the past six months, nothing has come. I just need to cut it off. I'm not doing anything better. Uh, you know, my landlord's been sort of negotiable and, you know, he's letting me pay him at a later time, but then can I pay at that later time? (laughs) It's, we don't know. And I, I don't want that sitting over my head this whole time. Like, it's like, okay, thank you. I'll pay you later. But I don't know if I could pay you later. And I don't want that on my conscience. Like, I just, like, if you let me go now, like you could try to find someone else and then have them pay you. Like, I don't want to be like that guy that owes you and cannot fulfill his word. So I think for me, it's like, it's time to kind of just shut things down. Like I have all the knowledge still like business is business. You know, I've, I've, I have the experience to start up again. Um, I have my family, I have my kids, you know, they're healthy, I'm healthy. And I think that's the only thing that's been keeping me strong mentally because yeah, it's tough. Like every day, I mean, um, you go home, you know, things aren't going right. It's like, my wife's sick of staying home. She wants to go out, see her friends. But it's, so like, there's all this tension and stress, but uh, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, if I move to California, you know, at least we can have family help us sort of ease the pain a little bit and then have something to look forward to for a new beginning. So that that's what really forced that decision. I know all of us, we're going through this bad time, but there will be good that comes from it eventually. You know, we just have to stick, stay in there, like, you know, have hope. And even though if there's no hope, like we still got to hope for the best and, you know, eventually it will get better. It can only get better. Kezo, thanks for being on the podcast. I know it was for the last minute, but I was just really compelled to, to have him on the show because I made this same decision two, three months ago, um, making the move from New York. And I spent the same amount of time in New York as Kezo did, seven years. Um, it's not an easy decision. And it's it's difficult, but I think for Kezo, obviously he has family out in the West. It makes sense for him at this point in time. And I think... Um, you know, we all have to make those tough calls and do what we have to do, to be honest. Um, really respect you, Kezo. Thanks for being so earnest and honest in all the highs and lows, the ups and downs that you experienced in your career. And, um, you know, your, your body of work is, is impressive. And I've, I've heard and read that even even the, the biggest ramen fans, even the biggest fans of yours have not even tried all the ramen bowls and varieties that you came up with. So kudos to you for keeping on and pushing forward and doing what's best for your family. Um, I mean, I think, I think that's the best you can do. So in any case, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. But uh, in the meantime, if you can, 
rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, it's your first time tuning in. Hit that follow button on Spotify. And I'll see you next week on With Warm Welcome.